You're listening to WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kirsten. Let's get the latest New Hampshire government news with our friends at the New Hampshire Bulletin. Get their articles at NewHampshireBulletin.com. They join WKXL in the morning every Friday, and this week I'm joined by senior reporter Anne Marie Timmons. Welcome back. Hi, AJ. Thanks for having me. So you have very interesting articles uh, this past week, especially, and I, I wanted to start off with this uh, one that looks like Democrats are trying to get people with science backgrounds elected to the legislature, and uh, it, it's especially in the wake of COVID that it, it really stands out. Exactly. They did start before COVID hit, but they would argue, you know, COVID is just one more reason to work on this. So this is a group out of um, Washington, D.C., 314 Action, and they have been working primarily on getting candidates for Congress, you know, very high level. And this is a pilot project. They wanted to see, you know, how they could do working at the state level. New Hampshire made sense for two reasons. We have 400 options of races to put someone in. And it's cheap. You know, it doesn't cost that much money to run for most of these seats. So it seemed like an easy, good place to start. So they will be combing through all these public records to try to figure out who in the state has a science background and might be a right, the right candidate for this. My guess is they'll also welcome, you know, people who raised their hand and said they would like to do it. And their feeling is that science folks have always been welcomed as advisors in the process, but they don't have a vote and they want them to have that vote and just have more say in the process. So we'll see, they're announcing this officially on Monday, Pi Day. And so we'll, we'll see where it goes. They want to get you know involved immediately and get someone, get folks in um, for the next election. And they're aiming for 10 to, five to 10% of the races, which sounds small until you think about how tight the margin is in the, the house. It's um, if they picked up 10%, it would, um, it would make a difference, I think. I did ask them, you know, why not make it bipartisan? There's certainly Republicans who also believe in science. And they said, you know, at the national level, that hasn't been true primarily the narrative has been science uh, climate change doesn't exist COVID is not real vaccines are dangerous and so they're really basing that decision on the national level but i think you know you've probably talked to them too there are republicans out there who follow science and believe in it um so unfortunately, I guess they can't participate in this. It's like it's like the the low hanging fruit with the Democrats, especially post COVID. I mean, I obviously uh, really wish they'd get some conservatives that are especially pro science, but unfortunately, with in the wake of the Trump movement, it's it's very risky. It's a much riskier move to to go too far down that route because um, because you don't want to be going against the, the stupid narratives that we got to deal with when it comes to either. The mainstream media or mainstream politics and all that we it's there's there's a fight that needs to happen and it's it's likely going to be easier especially when it comes to climate change because they're just real um real popular subjects when it comes to the base Mm -hmm. i think the school board elections that we saw um this week in the state may be a good example of what's going on you know the headlines have been all along that candidates that are on the extreme right don't want any safety protocols in the schools are opposed to any kind of divisive topics teaching you know if you read the headlines you would have thought they would have swept all the races 
because the other side who feels differently was reluctant to speak out because it was so dangerous. You would be attacked on Twitter at school board meetings. But those, their candidates won across the state. We saw progressive pro-school people run um, and win. So I think here too, like you're like you point out, science folks, it, it's not always a welcome um, crowd when you speak up. And so sort of like, why bother? Maybe we'll try to work behind the scenes and do what we can. Um, so I think this really asks them to take the step forward and say, your analytical skills are what we need. Your expertise is what we need. So we'll see um, what happens. And I, th- I think the the state level, this is, this is a great idea anyways, like personally, because <sighs> I'm conflicted when it comes to to their their end goal ultimately because there's a big difference between shaping public policy and necessarily what science necessarily says is the right thing to do because I say a huge failure when it came to many states with their um, with their administrative health experts is they didn't understand the way to convince people to do things <laughs> and they yeah. came across as very uh, I'll say snooty. <laughs> it seems like a polite way with some some states. I'm not going to say that about New Hampshire necessarily, but a lot of other states. And you got to have the right public relations and policy design expertise that science science experts don't necessarily have, and nor should they have. That's that's not their job. But when it comes to the New Hampshire state legislature, especially where it's huge, there's so many people involved with it. It's a great way to get some experts kind of in the door of politics, and maybe. 10 years from now they won't necessarily be running for the senate but maybe they'll have a role in the executive branch working on a committee or for a department or something like that that's exactly their thinking you know that we we want to start at a state level try that out because state politics really impacts your life probably day to day far more than congress Um, but then they could grow candidates and get them at these higher offices um, they do, I think they recognize that scientists um, don't have training in public relations because one of their services they'll offer, one of their supports is um, communications training, publicity training, um, everything from how do you file, what do you need to run, um, an endorsement, maybe some money, maybe, but also this kind of training, recognizing that they're not storytellers all the time. Right, and, and definitely telling the story as we've seen, like like Ukraine's a fantastic example. I mean, this the story of Zelensky and such is what's really sold Americans to really be on board with supporting Ukraine and not supporting Russia. It's 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 all about storytelling and getting people to side with you. I mean, and that's great to hear that they're offering that training. I wish more uh, nonprofits offered that to people that are interested in activism and politics. Well, if they were good at it, I suppose we would be out of a job. Exactly, exactly. I don't want to be too good at it. <laughs> um, moving over to people are currently in the state house. It looks they're making uh, the move toward closer to uh, going back in session in the state house, which will be really interesting to see. And they had an entertaining uh, way of getting ready. 
They did. They had a mock session for the new lawmakers. You know, their second year, This we're in our second term of this year, but they've not been in the state house before. They, you know, we've all been living through our computers and they have as well. So this was a, a chance to bring them in and kind of show them the etiquette that's expected. And they did it by having a debate over Oreos very non-threatening item and they treated it they took it very seriously you know i moved the question to ask whether oreos should be dipped in milk or red wine because white wine is not the new hampshire way like they took it seriously um, but had some fun with it and i think it broke down this barrier um, people see to enjoy it they learned that they can't call lawmakers by their first names um, you can't even take your coat off in the reps hall without getting permission from the speaker. So there's this real formality that they hadn't um, been part of before, haven't needed to. So today was day one with everyone there. And, and by all accounts, it was um, a very nice atmosphere. People really enjoying being back together. Of course, they remembered Rennie Cushing, a state rep from Hampton who died uh, just, you know, a tragic loss this past week. And so there was a coming together over that. Uh, so I think there was a real nice, nice beginning to the year. There was also almost nothing controversial on the calendar. So um, I, I that had any chance of passing. <laughs> we could talk about what the libertarians were trying to do. Yes, we did not choose to succeed from the union. 13 <laughs> House members did vote for that, but they were not enough. Um, but that was, you know, there were a few things, but nothing really controversial. So there was not a test. So maybe it was a good way to start. It seemed like there were no fights. We're across the street from the state house. We saw no ruckus outside. Um, next week will be different. There's some really tough topics up. I'm watching two abortion bills um, that would add a, a several exceptions back in for rape, incest, fatal, fetal anomalies. Um, so that's going to be a tough conversation. It may be harder for them to remain civilized and keep their passions in check. Uh, so, But today went, went really well. I think there was um, even hugging. I heard a report of hugging between a Democrat and a Republican. I mean, these are people that many of them have been working together at the State House for years. And they, they to not be able to interact face-to-face, -to, -face, to do the Zoom calls, that just are not personable whatsoever um, really puts a hindrance on it. And I'd imagine it was a relief for many lawmakers to be able to say, okay, I can actually speak to this person and say, I, I'm bringing this up for a reason. Because when, when people throw, throw out their political beliefs on Twitter, it's, the, the Twitter algorithm has been brutal to me recently. I don't know why. I'm just being all these people just like, why are you in my feed? It, it, it just breeds uh, partisanship and frustration as opposed to actually talking and out saying, okay, we disagree on the, the, the abortion bill from last year. Like, can we just get get this one thing taken out of it like when it comes to the ultrasound which that's how politics is supposed to work mm -hmm. right what is that taylor swift song say it in a tweet that's a cop out say it in the street that's a knockout so i do i do think that there is a difference when you have to talk to each other yeah. it's true for all of us um one thing that i've noticed that's different from when i was in the legislature before um several years ago the Repu Republicans and Democrats sat side to side. They were mingled throughout the 
um, reps hall, which I think is nice. I mean, even mm. when you have to ask someone, could you excuse me, I, I need to get out. You're having a conversation there. It has to be some civility there. You get to know people, the small talk. Now that's divided by party. Republicans and Democrats are separated, which I think is unfortunate. I'm not sure um, where that came from. I, I'd like to know. We, ha we just haven't looked into that yet. But I think that's a loss, really. Um, but there still is, you know, running into the cafeteria in the hallway. So I, I think any face-to-face -face, um, conversations here are a huge step forward. Yeah, and hopefully we'll assist with the, uh, there's been such an issue with nat just these national subjects that have just eaten up all the time when it comes to committees. And uh, once again, the stupid beast that is Twitter, it's all just this focus mm -hmm. on that when really the state house should be deciding, like, What's going on with New Hampshire specifically? Like your day-to-day -day life. Like we need an ordinance in this part of the state that's respectful of this, or we need the ability to help businesses operate in this part of the state. So, like I was talking with Bob Sanders at the New Hampshire Bulletin that they're working to get um, recycling gas coming from transfer stations to create recycled natural gas that you can use for just throw into Liberty's pipes for what they're doing for everything else. Like there's things like that that they should be uh, focused on. Yeah, and I think those conversations, um, we've seen it uh, as people have been back in front of committees testifying, your comments really register. You can look at the whole committee and see reactions. Even for us, there's a bill that would have sealed all the records in the YDC, the Youth, um, Sununu Youth Development Center's abuse uh, allegation. There's a settlement fund. There was a bill that the attorney general's office wrote that would have sealed all of those records once they were done um, proceeding through the settlement process, except for the amount that was paid. And um, I went in and argued on behalf of the press association and myself that we have a right to know law that sorts that out. We do not need and should not seal all those how are we going to know what happened, how it happened, who is responsible, and how to avoid it in the future if we don't have access to that information? And I was able to testify the committee and the attorney general's office worked with us and we came to a compromise on that that I think suits all of us. And so that would have been very hard to do over Zoom because there's just not a personal connection. And so I think, I think the whole process is so improved by being back together. The other thing I like about it is lawmakers who do not return your calls cannot escape you in the hallway. So. Emory, don't mess with her. All right, let's move over to uh, to update that is uh, very great to see when it comes to COVID-19 hospitalizations. You heard about this the other day. I speak to that a bit. Well, what I think one indicator is for the last two days, I have not written about COVID. I've written about overdoses, that's what I'm working on. Um, and it's because COVID is not over by any means, but we are seeing numbers that we hadn't seen since summer. You know, as fast as cases and hospitalizations spiked up, they've come down. So as of yesterday, there were about 40 people in the hospital um, with COVID. Two months ago, that was 400. So we can see that how quickly that has dropped. Cases are down. Um, places are starting to more relax more mask mandates. We saw Concord drop its mask mandate. Um, so the numbers are all going in um, the right direction. It's really nice not to have to write about COVID because that it is receding a bit from our lives. 
Yeah, and the, the all the all the different schools are now starting to get rid of their mask requirements, which is amazing. My my son goes to the Concord School District. I spoke to uh, uh, Kathleen Murphy, who's the superintendent. Um, uh, the full interview will be on the New England Take uh, Friday in the six o'clock hour, um, as well as next week on Tuesday. If you're listening to WKXL in the morning, which is the show I'm supposed to be promoting at the moment, <laughs> which is great great talking how um, on how the Concord School District is improving and tracking and working with uh, the superintendents working together too to make sure that they're getting the data they need it's Mm -hmm. it's great to start seeing and we are seeing you know we've talked many times do not look at the state's covid dashboard to get a sense of vaccination rate it'll bum you out because it looks very low but if you go to the cdc our rate of first shots is quite quite high second shots is quite high boosters is not high but we do have a high population of people who have uh, one or two doses of the vaccine. And we've had a lot of people at this point who have had COVID. And although natural immunity, we know, is not as protective or long-lasting, it is something. Um, And maybe that becomes enough to slow the spread of um, the variant. Of course, there's the threat, and I think we're seeing in Hong Kong, cases are high, rising again. Could be a new variant. So. Um, I'm trying to enjoy this while we can and hope that it stays. Yeah, and hospitals must be working hard to kind of reset and go, okay, let's figure out what we need to do and clean up before um, God knows what's going to be happening with the next wave. Because odds are this is going to be happening every fall or spring to some extent, unfortunately. Uh, But uh, they must be quite relieved to see this Omicron surge uh, gone. They really are, um, and what they'll say is we have not been able to get to all of our other patients to provide that level of care that we want to provide that um, is our standard. And now they're able to spend more time with patients. If you need a knee replacement, now you can actually get one. Um, So those elective procedures, so-called, that's not that they're not important, they're just not emergencies. Those are um, coming back online, so I think I heard this again and again that medical providers had this moral distress where they knew that their level of care should be here, but it had to be here because they had to triage. And that's a very uncomfortable, I mean, maybe it feels like for us when you mail it in um, for a day, but only 10 times worse because so much is at stake. And that's not a good feeling. And I heard, I've i heard them say it's nice to be able to do what we do the way we do it to the standards that we want to do it. And to have the room to do it, like we've talked about over and over again with regards to COVID hospitalizations the last several months, is they, they've taken up so much space in the hospital. They don't, have a pla- they don't have places to put people. People are in the emergency room waiting in the hallway in a gurney, just hoping that eventually they'll eventually get a room, and they just don't have the space to do it. It's New Hampshire hospitals. They're not set up to have all these these uh, this pandemic that's affecting the entire region around the, the selected facility. Right. And this has coincided with the ER boarding, you know, people in mental health crisis showing up at the ERs and waiting days, weeks for a bed. And so they've already had this crowd of people they've not been able to um, offer even reasonable accommodations or care because, again, they're not set up for that either. So just double that with COVID patients who are in distress and infectious. And you can start to see just how how hard it is. Um, We saw some tension this week in the House. There was a committee hearing on visitor policies at the hospital and a lawmaker said, you know, I think hospitals, I think you hospitals are going to start have to rebuilding trust. And 
after two years of this, you can imagine how that went over with uh, the medical community that was at the, the hearing. I think they feel like they have done so very much uh, with so very little that that was very hard to hear because they feel like they've been a constant support no matter what. If you're vaccinated, if you're not, um, no matter what, they'll take you in and they don't really have the room or staff to do it, but they have found a way. And so I think there is a big sigh of relief, um, cautiously optimistic that we have turned a corner here. Anne-Marie Timmons, senior reporter for the New Hampshire Bulletin. Get more from the at NewHampshireBulletin.com. You're listening to WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kirsten.